Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Britain, the Philippines, Brazil, and a see you in hell from the Netherlands in World War II. Right, starting out with the United States, just a quick news bit. Uh, the redistricting attempt by Governor DeSantis of Florida has been ruled unconstitutional by a court in that state. Uh, DeSantis and his allies were attempting to district out of existence a primarily black district, which would have been very likely to have been won by a Democrat. Uh, specifically, it was deemed unconstitutional that the state government was denying black Americans a right to be able to elect a representative of their own by primarily putting them in districts that would mean that they would be in Republican districts, right? Uh, districts that would be expected to elect white Republican representatives. Moving on to the Supreme Court, the current thinking apparently is that it was a conservative clerk who leaked the Supreme Court decision that would overturn Roe v. Wade if it uh, actually goes into effect in June. Now, what a conservative clerk means is uh, this is somebody who is a, a, you know, a lawyer who is working for one of the conservative judges on the Supreme Court. Being a clerk for a Supreme Court justice is an extremely important and powerful position. Uh, it's the way that a lot of very powerful lawyers, judges, politicians, and future Supreme Court justices like really jumpstart their legal career. Uh, so the fact that they think that it's a conservative clerk who did this leaking is really important. It could mean a whole lot of things. Um, it could either mean that this clerk was breaking with whatever justice they were serving with, um, you know, like the, they disagreed with this decision or they were aware that it was extremely unpopular and, you know, this was like the last straw. Potentially more likely and much worse, actually, uh, would be that this conservative clerk was trying to get the justices to double down on the severity of their efforts to overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, especially because it was the first draft of a potential decision that was leaked, as opposed to any final or revised draft that has been leaked. Um, this could suggest, you know, well, potentially this first draft was way more conservative, maybe it was way more extreme, maybe it was overturning Roe in a more holistic way, like like the, the leaked draft is, you know, uh, would actually overturn Roe v. Wade entirely. Potentially, there's a more moderate, compromised version out there that might actually be what the justices were going to go with. And this conservative clerk wanted to make sure that the more serious, extreme version was kept. Uh, this could be an effort to galvanize the GOP behind anti-abortion electoral politics because, you know, people uh, got their hopes up, for lack of a better term, about overturning abortion. And so they were worried that, uh, you know, maybe there was a compromised position and they were trying to prevent that from happening. Maybe they were trying to affect some primary decisions or affect the general election that is happening later this year you know, the, the uh, congressional election that's happening in November 2022. There's a whole lot that's unclear here. And it seems unlikely that we're going to find out exactly who it was that leaked this thing. It seems like they covered their tracks pretty well. Um, so we're just going to have to see if we are able to figure any of this out. Moving on to the United Kingdom, there has been a very interesting leak of some audio by apparently by an extremely popular right-wing YouTuber from the UK called Paul Joseph Watson. 
Paul Watson is a right-wing YouTuber and propagandist um, who has been associated with Alex Jones and Laura Loomer, who are extremely popular, sort of like fringe right-wing propagandist type people. Watson himself, though, occupies a sort of like more reasonable position in their particular sphere uh, and has also been uh, seen rubbing elbows, you know, metaphorically speaking, with uh, other parts of the right wing, like, for example, Paul Slinovich, who's a very important person in the uh, male-dominated parts of the right wing. Watson, being a somewhat more moderate figure on this, has not really been deplatformed. He's only been removed from Facebook. Uh, so he's still on YouTube. He's still on Twitter. He's still on Instagram. He's still on all those things. What this means is that he has a reach and a publicity that um, Alex Jones and Loomer do not, uh, and that other people in his particular part of the right wing do not. Now, all of that said, this leaked audio, which is apparently from him, you know, it sounds exactly like him and, you know, People who know him are verifying that it sounds exactly like him. This leaked audio just has him saying that he thinks that all Jewish people should be exterminated. He, he, like it, it's openly supporting mass murder of Jewish people. This is the kind of stuff that Watson has always been very careful to distance himself from uh, as a, you know, like popular right wing propagandist. Uh, he's always tried to be somewhat more moderate in that way. Uh, you know, he tries to present himself not unlike Ben Shapiro, you know, being like a reasonable and brilliant person. You know, that that's that's sort of his brand. Um, so him going off the hook here is uh, going to hurt him massively. One can only hope. Uh, this also sheds new light on his previously obvious but less overt anti-Semitism. You know, for example, uh, he's one of those people who would say something like, the world is controlled by secret cabal of people, or that uh, companies that he doesn't like and the government and the left are in cahoots. Uh, this is a, a common anti-Semitic trope. So the fact that he also buys into somewhat more extreme positions of anti-Semitism should unfortunately not be a surprise to us here, although it is pretty revealing. Moving on to the Philippines, there was a decisive victory in last week's election for Marcos Jr., the son of the former dictator of the Philippines, Ferdinand Marcos. So this is Ferdinand Marcos Jr. will be the new president of the Philippines taking over from uh, Duterte, who is the current president. In the Philippines, Marcos Jr. is known as his nickname, Bongbong Marcos. Um, like I said, uh, Marcos Jr.'s father, Ferdinand Marcos, ruled the country for two decades in the mid-20th century and was one of the most corrupt politicians of all time, arguably. Uh, his family stole somewhat around $10 billion from the Philippine government. After a revolution toppled that presidency, uh, the family fled to the United States, specifically Hawaii, where Marcos Sr. died in exile. However, eventually the family returned and they were able to return to politics, hence Marcos Jr.'s uh, rise to the presidency. His running mate in this election was the current president of the Philippines, Duterte's daughter, Sara Duterte Carpio, uh, who was also considering her own presidential run, but I guess, you know, saw the writing on the wall about Marcos Jr., Marcos Jr. has, you know, run on a like very standard unity ticket, you know, saying that he's going to be the president for all Filipinos. But it seems very likely that he's going to continue a lot of the most right wing and authoritarian positions and policies that Duterte has come to be known for. Specifically, Duterte's war on the poor and the downtrodden, which he calls a war on drugs, that has killed 
thousands of people in the Philippines and affected the lives of many, many more with legal crackdowns, um, extra legal activity, um, all sorts of extremely terrifying, shady stuff. This likely means that the Philippines will continue in its trend uh, toward a liberal rule that has been in place since Duterte took office. Finally, moving on to Brazil, we now know, since there's been a leak about this, that Burns, uh, the senior official in the United States of the CIA, the, the chief of the CIA, has apparently been warning Gerald Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, uh, not to interfere in the upcoming Brazilian election this uh, fall. This is coming after Burns met with Bolsonaro earlier this year. Uh, Burns is the most senior official in the United States to meet with Bolsonaro in the Biden administration. Apparently, he said behind closed doors that Bolsonaro should quit with undermining the concept of electoral legitimacy, which Bolsonaro has been doing for years at this point. He's been claiming that the election is going to be stolen from him and that elections are rigged and that all the counting is fake and all of that sort of stuff. For those of you who paid attention to Donald Trump's rhetoric surrounding the 2020 election, this should be extremely familiar. This is exactly what Bolsonaro is saying now. Uh, so the fact that Burns, the, the, the leader of the CIA, so like the, the head of the international intelligence apparatus in the United States, is warning a foreign president, a, a president who is right wing and who has openly talked about engaging in extra legal practices in order to stay the president. The fact that he is warning him specifically and personally, hey, don't do this. It's a clear indication that there is going to be some sort of extra legal activity in Brazil surrounding the election in October. This is pretty obvious at this point. Everyone denies that this conversation took place, of course. Burns denies it. Bolsonaro denies it. But this means that everybody knows that Bolsonaro is planning some sort of activity, that he's learning both from the example of Trump and, more importantly, from Brazilian history on this matter. Finally, going to close out this episode as I do with every episode with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, going back to World War II and to the Netherlands to talk about Anton Mustert. Uh, Anton Mustert was a Dutch fascist and collaborator. Uh, he was a very good student as a youth. He studied engineering and joined several irredentist Dutch organizations uh, that wanted to annex parts of Belgium. Irredentism is a typically right-wing belief that says that, you know, territory that is rightfully belonging to one country or another country is uh, incorrectly being held by another one and that they need to retake it by force. Uh, this was an extremely powerful and prominent ideology in Europe, especially after World War I, as borders were shoveled around. So irredentism is part of the Italian right, the German right, the Romanian right. It's part of the right wing of a lot of countries at this time. Uh, Musert continued in his right wing activities. Uh, in 1931, he founded the Dutch counterpart to the Nazi party, the National Socialist Movement of the Netherlands, uh, with a bunch of other Dutch fascists. They engaged in some electoral activity, you know, they stood for a couple elections, um, but they never really won any seats. However, they did win almost 10% of the vote in 1935. Uh, however, their electoral successes were dampened as the threat of Nazi Germany became much, much, much more apparent right on the Dutch doorstep, and so they pivoted. Uh, in the late 30s, they pivoted to being just preparing for collaboration with a Nazi administration. 
after the Germans invaded and conquered the Netherlands, which happened extremely quickly, uh, they prepared and tried to capture the Queen of the Netherlands. Uh, they failed. The, the Queen of the Netherlands escaped uh, to the United Kingdom. After the German invasion, uh, Mussert obviously wanted to be made the political leader of the country, uh, of, you know, of some sort of like occupied Netherlands, you know, like Vichy France, for example. Instead, uh, he was not allowed to do that. Uh, all that he was allowed to do was to work with Germans to stop Dutch resistance. Uh, so he and his fascist organization worked with some of the foreign organized SS branches. Uh, these were parts of the SS, parts of the German military that worked with other Europeans, uh, usually other fascist organizations. Uh, eventually, he and his brigade were ordered to fight on the Eastern Front to fight against the Soviets, uh, to fight in Leningrad, where they uh, had an extremely terrible time and um, lots of them died. He was always sidelined by the Germans. He was never given any real serious political power and was ultimately told by Hitler that this would never happen for him, you know, that he would never actually get any real political power. Uh, he was only seen as a cop, essentially, by the Germans. After Germany's surrender to the Allies in 1945, he was arrested in his party's offices in November, and after a very quick trial, he was sentenced to death. He appealed to the queen, that is the same queen that he tried to kidnap earlier, uh, and the queen, of course, ignored him and denied his petition. He was then executed by firing squad this week in history, the 7th of May, 1946. So, Anton Mussert, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on, and please tell your friends, family, and comrades about the podcast. That's how people actually learn about it. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. 15 is spelled out and all one word. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me, that's also my Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at hist of the right, that's H I S T of the right, or fascism 15. That is also spelled out and one word. All right, thank you very much, and I will talk to you next week.